We want to welcome all of our listeners and viewers to another episode of Minority Report with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, media, and tech. And today joining us is Dana Wilson. Dana is the CEO and founder of CHIP, and I'm going to let her tell you what CHIP stands for in just a second. So let's jump in and get to know Dana. Dana, how are you? Welcome. Thank you. And thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Super happy to be uh, chatting with you all today. Excellent. Yeah, we're excited you're with us and would love to have you tell us what CHIP stands for and tell us a a little bit about, you know, how, how CHIP is helping people. Yeah, absolutely. So chip, which is just like potato chip, (laughs) so that people can easily, easy to remember, always everyone's favorite snack. (laughs) But it stands for changing how individuals prosper. And it's really about connecting individuals to financial professionals of color, specifically Black and Latinx financial professionals. So whether you're a financial advisor, insurance professional, tax, we kind of have everyone on our platform to make sure people are building that solid financial team. That's awesome. In a minute, we'll ask you a little bit about how you you got into your career path. But first... uh, Yeah, always a fun story. (laughs) But you know, there's always an original story before that. And so tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? And tell us a little bit about some of your earlier days. Oh, yeah, let's see, you know, back in the 19, (laughs) 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 which is crazy, too, because I was looking at a graphic yesterday that was showing all of the different generations and the names. And I guess I'm considered a millennial, although I don't really feel like it. I feel like there's some separation there. Um, It was like 1980. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, no shade to the millennials. I think I'm considered more of an elder millennial around 1984-ish. You know, I still remember the typewriter and all of those things. Uh, That's for a different podcast. (laughs) Uh, But I grew up in Montclair, New Jersey, very uh, diverse setting, diverse town. It was a wonderful place to grow up. I don't think I could have imagined my childhood any better, just being able to be around every type of individual ethnicity and all of that under the sun and kind of seeing that as a child and kind of getting used to that somewhat being the norm. But I think also as you get older, you do kind of have that affinity to gravitate towards people who more so look like you sometimes or kind of understand your background a bit better. But Montclair was just so perfect for that melting pot. And I actually think at one time, it was one of the most diverse maybe towns in the country in the U.S. at some point a long time ago. But it was fantastic. I mean, I remember, you know, riding my bike everywhere. You know, I had this amazing puffy bike that I love to ride around. Uh, And it was just a wonderful experience to really grow up in that diverse environment and be able to really have an appreciation for that now that I kind of look back on that entire experience. We actually just celebrated our, I think, our 16th year high school. No, maybe it was a little longer than that, high school graduation. And we were all just kind of in the room and just looking at how diverse it was and really appreciating that moment because that was something that you sometimes don't see too often. That's interesting. You know, how how do you feel that may have shaped your identity and who you are today, you know, and things like that? Yeah, I think it made me a a very open-minded person because I had grown up around so many different cultures. So growing up in Montclair, we celebrated a lot of Jewish holidays. So that was always on our calendar for holidays. So it was just kind of something that you just always paid attention to and you, you knew about just being in that environment. In addition to just kind of understanding others and and having an appreciation for where other people come from. 
whether they're even, you know, within our black culture, there's still, you know, black Americans, African Americans, Caribbean Americans, Indians, and, and people from all different types of backgrounds, you know, Latinx has become the term now, but there's so many layers underneath that. And you really get to appreciate and see the different cultures. So it's not just putting people into one bucket, which is often done in a lot of scenarios, you get to really see and experience different cultures and, and through different foods and stuff that we would do within our school and just this everyday interaction, which was wonderful. Yeah. Before you became CEO and founder, you know, how did you move into your career? How did you start off and how did you find your way into your profession? Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, how did I get into finance? <laughs> 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 I don't know. I tell people, I was like, I don't know if anyone really like looks to just take that leap to jump into finance. It never sounds like the, the most fun career path or, or great thing to do. I actually got my degree in marketing. So I have my undergrad degree in marketing, almost also finished out with a minor in poli sci. But I think as it got to into the legal uh, part of it, I kind of wasn't too interested in it anymore. But now looking back, I kind of wish I had just, <laughs> just finished it out. But after I graduated, I always thought that, hey, you know, I would go into more of a marketing endeavor, working for some type of company in advertising. And then two weeks before I graduated, one of my career counselors at the time said, why don't you stop by the SunTrust booth? I was actually living in North Carolina at the time. So if you do hear a little bit of an accent come out, (laughs) I spent about 10 years down there. So that's what that is. She was like, why don't you stop by the booth? And I was like, well, we just had this whole conversation about how I wanted to go into marketing and advertising and do this really creative type of role. So I listened to her. I went by, dropped off my resume. They called me, you know, I think about two or three weeks later, I went in for an interview, got the job. And from there, it was just, you know, okay, I'll take this job until, (laughs) you know, we all say until what we really want to do comes. But I ended up really loving everything there was and and learning about the bank and the financial world. And I've worked at, you know, large institutions, mid-size, and have been independent advisor for the past about six years. And really understanding what it is to build a business, it's a lot different when you're under a corporate umbrella and you have all these 1-800 numbers you can call and people that can help you with things. And then you step out even into the independent space, you are still an entrepreneur in your own right, building your own business. And now you are the 1-800 number. (laughs) <laughs> you kind of have to figure out all these things that you have to do, whether it's building your website, whether it's who's you know hosting your phone calls, how are you going to interact with your clients, what's your specific business model to your practice. But all of those unique abilities kind of led me to this journey to start Chip and really understand and just love diving into creating. So although I went into finance, I'm still I've still through all this path been able to utilize all of those skills and that knowledge that I've learned over these years and dive into that marketing background and still tap into all of that creative side that I've been able to just learn. And and I love it. That's awesome, Dana. What do you, I guess, in terms of being a a CEO, is is that what you love most about being a CEO and a founder is sort of like, again, being able to tap into different things, like you said, the marketing piece and, and other areas? Absolutely. I think it gives you the ability to really learn how to be flexible, how to learn just different skill sets and just sharpen skill sets. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes when you're in corporate, you're focusing, you're focused on certain tasks and you're not necessarily always having to look at the bigger picture. 
And I think for me, that was a lot of it trying to sharpen those skills of learning how to, you know, not necessarily do it all, but yes, kind of do it all, you know, do it all and learn different paths um, within business, whether it's, you know, operations that not, that's not necessarily something that I have a background in, but it's something that I'm having to learn on this journey about reassessing our processes and what that looks like and kind of teaching myself to do that in that moment. And I think a lot of the skills that you naturally learn, you're able to just kind of dive deeper into my attention to detail has gotten a lot better because it had to get better. <laughs> you know, I'm not perfect at it. You know, there's definitely still things that I'm, I'm working on, but you just kind of sharpen those skills. And I think sometimes you sharpen them faster when you kind of walk through that path of being a CEO and a founder. Gotcha. Gotcha. And obviously, as we are recording this podcast, we are going through some very interesting times, let's just call it that, in, in our country right now with the Black Lives Matter movement, the pandemic, so on and so forth. And I'm not even going to ask you if you've ever been discriminated against because as a Black woman, I'm sure that you have been. So I would ask you the question of when those situations do come up, how have you handled them in the past? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's unfortunately a question of, you know, when did it happen, right? And it's Mm -hmm. just, you know, and I think that's the sad thing. But, you know, now that we're going through all of this with COVID, with the Black Lives Matter movement, it's kind of bringing those issues to the forefront. We knew that they were already there, but now we're really having to deal with them and they're right in everyone's face. Myself, I mean, I haven't had to deal with any really hard issues, like in my face type of things, but there has been, you know, those side conversations you hear and you come across where people are kind of the same things and you kind of come up and there's this weird dispersed (laughs) of individuals. There was this instance when I was working at a smaller firm And there was a team, I don't know, maybe there were 20 or so advisors. I, there was maybe two or three people of color at the time. Two of us were women of color. And we all had to memorize this this pitch for a product that that we were doing. So we were all brought down to the CEO, to his conference room, large, very intimidating space. And he wanted us each to kind of get up and present this product. And he was calling on people one by one. And, you know, before we went down there, he was like, they're so nervous and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, okay, let's just go down. Let's all just get this over with. And he calls on me and I get up and, you know, I start pitching and I'm talking to him. And then he just looks, he looks at me and he kind of takes this step back. And he's like, you don't seem intimidated. And I just, you know, and it was kind of a weird comment. I don't know if it's just, hey, you know, you're a woman or, hey, you're a woman of color and you should kind of feel just maybe intimidated by me or you coming up here and speaking to me in this way. And I just told him, I was like, you know, I'm, I, I'm not, <laughs> and I don't. And I think he was just really shocked and surprised by the confidence in the delivery of it. And he just really, I don't know, it was just kind of a very weird moment to experience with someone where they're kind of asking you that in a very formal, um, more professional setting as if more of an intimidation, like you're supposed to be intimidated by something. So I've definitely had mm-hmm. that happen. And kind of some are similar um, situations to that, where, you know, you walk in with this confidence that people expect that you're not supposed to have. And I think to some degree, that's how we're supposed to walk into a room so that we can make sure that we're seen. Right, right. Always remembering that we worked hard to get in that room and we belong in that room. 
Yeah, exactly. And feeling like we do belong because we do. We have the experience. We have the knowledge to be there and deserve to be there sometimes more than our counterparts. And I think people really need to understand that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. I want to go back to your business for a second, Chip, right? So on the homepage of, of the website, easily access Black and Latinx financial professionals, right? And so I, I want to chat for a minute about that because, you know, I, I feel like you can correct me if I'm wrong. You know, one of the reasons why you probably started the company is because you saw there was a gap there, right? Between connecting to Black and Latinx financial professionals. So can you speak a little bit about that? Absolutely. And it's interesting too, because when I first, like I was saying before, started my career in banking, there's a little bit more of an intentionality there to put people who look like the community in the bank, mm-hmm. uh, at least to a certain extent, right? Because you want people who are you know, going to be walking in, walking in every now and then to see some sort of reflection. But as soon as you move out of the banking world and you go into private wealth, wealth management, I mean, it just shifts. And I went to an HBCU and you come out and you graduate with this sense of pride of self, of, of being a person of color, understanding what it means to be Black and also be around other intelligent individuals who also look like you. And then you get into a space where you're having to figure out how to still be that person around people who don't look like you. And, you know, I experienced just kind of seeing that and being in your early 20 somethings and you're just like, okay, well, this is how it, this is just how it is, right? This is just how private wealth looks. Like it doesn't look like there's no, you know, brown or, or black or brown people in this space. So coming into it, it was just like, okay, well, where are they? And I was at a point where I was also managing a team of about maybe 20 to 30 advisors. And there was, first of all, barely any women. I think there might have been like one or two women on the team. And of course, no one of color was on there. And then as I continued on my career through midsize private firms and then independent, you still saw that. And that lack of visibility really makes a difference when you're talking about retention, recruitment, upward mobility. Mm -hmm. Uh, visibility matters. You know, how do I think I'm going to succeed at this firm if there's no one in on that executive level that looks like me, or you're just kind of not even really paying anyone who looks like me attention and that support isn't really there. And when you move over to the independent side, as great as that is, and as big of an accomplishment as that is, it becomes even more silo because then you're not really having to interact and you're really trying to kind of find your space in this industry. So the visibility is a problem, which then brings more of a problem when it comes to consumers. Right. Uh, because naturally, sometimes we do have an affinity for wanting to work with people who look like us and having that commonality and that understanding, especially around money in our communities, which tends to be a very taboo topic. You know, Dana, great insights and perspective. Where did you learn a lot of that from? Did you have mentors in, in you know, your family growing up or professional mentors or folks you don't just have to think about them as mentors, but folks that sort of work with you or, or that you model and thought of that help you to have that great perspective now? Yeah, absolutely. I would say a lot of my family, definitely my grandmother, she was one of the first Black radiologists to work at Duke in Durham, North Carolina, to work at Duke, um, I think it was Duke, Med- Duke Radiology Center. And that was just something that was a sense of pride. And now that I'm older, I can really understand how important that was at that time that she was in that room. And she would, you know, walk into a lot of spaces and people were surprised that she was even there. And, you know, that was back in the, I guess, 50s, 60s. 
and you know, we had a little bit of a different time where that was still the nuance. But my mother too, my mother, you know, worked at the same company for 45 years. So it was often an interesting conversation. I think when I first left corporate America, it was just like, well, why would you do that? (laughs) (laughs) But still a true supporter and just person I could just really understand from uh, my sister is also in the finance industry and has been super successful in a lot of uh, roles within operations and now technology. Uh, And I also, my very first boss when I was in banking is still a really good mentor to me now. So, and I have a a wonderful, I guess, army of just friends who really keep me motivated and who are experts in what they're doing. So it's good to kind of have that solid balance. Talking about balance, you know, unprecedented time. (laughs) We're at home. We're not out as much as we could be for, you know, professional sort of outings or even personal outings. How are you managing that balance? You know, we used to ask, Brown, I used to ask, like, how are you managing your sort of work-life balance? Is there such a thing? But tell us us what you're going (laughs) or we should be asking, you know? So how's it for you? Yeah. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I was somewhat used to working from home a little bit throughout the week, but it was definitely different when there was an outside pandemic going on and you were kind of in this forced shut-in, especially where I am in, um, in New Jersey. So we're kind of on the similar lines with New York here. But for me, I, I cycle, I work out. It was important to at least keep that routine, making sure that I was at least getting my sleep. Because it's definitely easy now that you're not having to commute to go anywhere, that you're just able to wake up and for the most part, just hop right to your computer and kind of get to work. I definitely do see my, uh, find myself working a little bit later. So I'm still trying to do a good job of having kind of that cutoff time. I definitely try to make room to step away. I think the first two and a half weeks, I was like scheduling meetings back to back to back. And it's like, you know, at some point I need to eat lunch. <laughs> it's like you have to walk away because normally maybe you're going out to eat or at least for me my office in the city is right near Bryant Park so I would just you know go outside and just sit out and take some time away so now it's like you have to kind of do those things. That was definitely the toughest part for me when I started working from home was just Mm -hmm. to shut down because you don't don't have that sort of okay I got to get up from the office because I actually have to like commute home you didn't you don't have that mm-hmm. or that that was that was tough for me but i got it now i got it <laughs> at, least, yeah. at least i think I, at least i think i do if i spend too much time on my desk my, my wife and my kids will remind me that it's not- <laughs> <laughs> well i also have two um two dogs that remind me that it's time to eat so there you, you know, go they, they can <laughs> they can get a little upset there <laughs> <laughs> Dana, where where do you draw inspiration from? What keeps you going every day? I think legacy. So I, I know I talked before about my grandmother, but I think the just the legacy of of who I want to be and yeah. the impact that I want to make in the world. I think that's the great my greatest achievement would be the impact, just based off of what I feel like Chip will bring not only to the financial industry but also to consumers and just the black and brown community. So when I get up every day, and even on days where I'm just, you know, tired or just, you know, have a laundry list of things to do, I really kind of hone in on that legacy that I want to leave for myself and the legacy that for for those who have come before me, which is really my family and kind of remembering that, but then also just the the impact. And it's less about 
you know, all these other things going on. But it's like, what are we really doing in this moment? I think a lot of us are going to look back at this point in history where it is really written in case studies, which there are going to be so many case studies. And, you know, that large history book that comes out and it's kind of like, well, what did you do? What was your give back during this specific time? And for me, I want to be able to say that, you know, I was trying to do my part and kind of give a piece of me that I felt like I can hopefully, you know, share with the world. Gotcha. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So we're about to enter July, which means that you just had a, a bunch of kids graduate college, right? So for any student that just graduated from an HBCU or any other school that's entering the workforce, entering the financial field, what, what advice would you give them? I would say really take your time and do your homework and and figure out what you want to do versus what companies you actually want to work for. I think within the financial industry, there's so many new avenues to go to, and especially with more of this visibility of Black and Brown individuals being better seen in the financial industry. You don't have to walk straight into a lot of these larger institutions. You can look at possibly exploring being independent and mm-hmm. you know what those internships and what that life can look like so it's really about kind of exploring all of your options and not figuring or, or thinking that you have to just be pigeonholed to one specific thing because i know a lot of times we're looking at the big box houses the names and all of that stuff and that can be very appealing but there's so many different avenues to this industry to dive into. So I would say just take your time, do your homework and and listen to what you really want and really ask yourself that question. Yeah, and to that point, I think trying to figure out your own avenue and maybe Mm -hmm. not necessarily always going to the big box places, like you said, might actually be a little easier too. Yeah, I think it's easier now. I think people are still kind of learning and figuring out the independent space, but it's definitely a great space to be. And no matter what you do, whether it's at a you know well-known firm or a smaller firm or an independent, it's just about you know creating your own lane. What do you want to get out of it while you're there, and who do you want to be? And just making sure that you know while you're there, you are also valued and appreciated. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, time for a fun question that I love asking every guest that we have uh, Mm -hmm. on the show, which is give us the top three apps on your phone, but you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging. (laughs) Okay. So I have an app. It's it's called Workout. It's like a workout calendar, which has been really helpful, especially through this whole thing. I actually need to go back. That reminds me and reorganize it. <laughs> I have what else do I use? Aura, which I really love. So Aura is actually uh, a ring. I'm wearing it now. I wear it all the time. It measures your sleep. So mm-hmm. one thing I do know about myself is that when I don't get sleep, I just don't. I don't know how to <laughs> be productive and do things. I guess like most people, but I definitely have gotten better about the quality of sleep that I'm having, and I think that's just important for productivity. And, you know, for, you know, for health and all sorts of reasons. So it helps you really track that. I also just found an app that I downloaded yesterday called Relive, which is like this virtual 3D mapping system. I use it. So I, oh, you do? Okay. So yeah, I just discovered it yesterday. So I'm so excited to go cycling tomorrow morning <laughs> so that I can do the playback and watch it because it looked really cool. And I'm such a nerd about that type of stuff. So you're going to, you're going to enjoy it. You're going to like it. Yeah, yeah. I was watching someone else's video and I was like, wow, this is really, really amazing. 
well, I feel left out, but uh, <laughs> or, or I just need to download it, relive. Yeah, just download it. Download it, get yourself a road bike, Eric, and get out there. Oh, oh yeah. It's nothing like a road bike. It's a full commitment. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great. You know, for a lot of our, our viewers and listeners, they like to stay in touch and maybe follow up and ask some questions and uh, sort of continue the discussion. Where can they find you? Sure. So you can find me on Instagram, Chip Professionals. That's our business page. You can also find me, Shift with Dana, on Instagram. I just uh, I'm a new Twitter person. So I actually, you know, I don't even know if I know my Twitter name. This is terrible. <laughs> but I am on Twitter. Now Great. I know my business name is Chip underscore pros. <laughs> Excellent. That one. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks very much again for joining us. And uh, thanks everyone for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. For all of those uh, watching and listening, keep following us and uh, search for Minority Report Podcast and just look for the logo wherever you find all of your audio and all of your video. Thanks.